right, grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter number 3. Revelation chapter number 3, remain standing for just a minute, and we'll, we'll read just a couple verses. If you need a lesson, <coughs> excuse me, if you need a lesson, raise your hand, we'll make sure you get them. Uh, if you forgot to pick up a lesson, uh, help them out, guys, in the back, y'all help them right here in the middle, right here in the middle. Brother Dustin, we got several on this side over here. <coughs> Brother Melvin, you got any extras? All right, we got some over here. Need some? All right. All right. Aren't you glad to be saved? Okay, let's, let's look in Revelation chapter number 3, and uh, we'll begin reading in verse number 14. <clears throat> Revelation three fourteen, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. He said, I'd rather you be one or the other. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. In other words, your condition is nauseating to me. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable Poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and what? Repent. Behold. Behold. Look, guys. Pay attention. Heads up, everybody. That's what he's saying. That's what behold means. It means look, look. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Lord, thank you for your blessings and your mercy. <clears throat> thank you for the privilege of being here today. And Lord, I, I, I pray that you'll speak to us, help us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'll guide every word out of my mouth. I pray that you'll use it to the benefit of your children. Lord, we came to hear from you. We came to feel your presence. And I pray that we'll do that today. Lord, I know there's a lot of people under the weather right now, a little thing going around, and I don't feel too good myself. Lord, I pray that you help me be a blessing to them. Lord, I pray today that your presence will be felt, and more than anything, that your name will be glorified. And God will thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I will have to admit... Uh, I shorted you a little bit on the outline, not, not necessarily in material because we're going to go all through it, but uh, when I posted the verses for you under each of the points like I normally do, uh, so you could have them there to read right there on your notes, uh, it ended up having four pages of notes. So what I did is I shaved off the verses, I left the, the, the addresses and, and, the, and the reference to the verse in your notes, but I gave the guys up here the verses so we'll be able to read them and see them in here. Uh, but in your notes, you'll just have to look them up. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. That saved us a whole bunch of paper, amen? 
And so, so we'll do it that way. If you're, if you're new to Wednesday night, we've been studying the seven churches in, in Revelation, uh, chapters 2 and chapters 3. Uh, these seven churches were real churches in Asia Minor and, and had real problems, real issues that they were suffering with and dealing with. And, and he's addressing them. And, and, and hopefully, the next time we meet, we're going to look at the prophetic side of this and how each of those churches represented a different era a different period of time in the church history from uh, the apostolic church of the, the first century all the way down to the Laodicean church age of the end of times. And, and so that is, that's going to be a real good study. But right now we've been taking each letter and looking at it, how it applies to issues today. How many of y'all know that, the seven, that all the problems these seven churches had, we have today? Not Maybe not all of them in every church, but some of them in some churches, some churches, all of them, but every one of them had issues, and every one of them had struggles, and every one of them had uh, things they, they, they had problems with, and Jesus addressed all them. The sad part about this deal is that throughout this, this, this writing of these letters, through these seven letters, you see a, a regression. I mean, it's steadily getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and, and to culminate, into this last one, the, the church of the Laodiceans. Uh, you're going you're gonna to notice that, that as we study this, the, the, the terminology and the language uh, suggests without a doubt that the whole church is unregenerated. The whole church, in other words, this is a whole church full of unbelievers. Yes, they were religious. Yes, they named the name of Christ. Yes, they put on the front and into themselves. They thought they were good to go, but God is saying the whole place is nauseating in His sight. We see He addresses it a little different than the first seven. He doesn't use the descriptions given in chapter number one, and we'll look at that uh, here in a moment. But and also, there was nothing, not one single thing said good about this church, not one. And 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 with this being said. This is a culmination of what happened in the beginning. First, what happened? The, the, the Ephesus, the church of Ephesus, the very first church, it left its first love. And then the second church was attacked with persecution. And when you are, 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 are not serving because of passion, you're not serving because of love, you're not operating in that first passionate love that you had for Christ, and you're hit with persecution, boy, it ain't, that's just the first step to downfall. Amen? And then we have, they started flirting with sin, allowing people uh, uh, with issues and sin into the church. And, and, and then they started participating with them. And then they began to be controlled by them. There in the church of Sardis, dead, dead, dead. A, a, a bright glimpse in the middle of all of that. <clears throat> a bright glimpse in the middle of all that. The church of Philadelphia, the church of the open door. The church that God was pleased with. The church that God blessed with favor and opened a door to them. Even though they were small in number. Even though they were small in power. Yet there's a glimpse of hope. Now what does that mean? In every situation. you got to understand this. In every situation that seems dark, 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 dark. There's always a glimmer of hope. And there's always a remnant. God will always have his people. Say amen. Just like, just like when, when God looked upon this earth in the days of Noah, he said there was wickedness. Everybody had wickedness on their mind. Everybody had wickedness in their heart. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. There was Noah in the midst of all of that. 
And you see the grace of God in the midst of darkness, in the midst of wickedness. You'll see a glimmer. You'll see a light. Do you realize there's seven different, in the, in the tribulation period, even in the tribulation period, there's seven, or, or excuse me, there's three different sets of seven judgments. And in, in the, there's the trumpet, ju- or the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bowl judgments. But do you realize in, in the midst of all three of those, in the midst of the seven seal judgments, in the midst of the seven uh, uh, trumpet judgments, in the midst of the seven bowl judgments, there's a space of grace where God allows people to... Somebody say amen. amen. Kind of getting ahead of myself. This is not in the notes, but I'm rolling with it. Say amen. God always has his people. God always has a place of grace in the midst of wickedness. God always has a, a glimmer of light. And that's what that... Philadelphian church, that letter to the church of Philadelphia. But here we find this is man. This is man at his best. The Laodicean church. This is man at his peak. This is man at his culmination of everything. Is a, a church. It's a religion. It's a movement. It's a structure that's set up that has wealth in it a structure that's set up that has arrogance and pride in it, and they feel like everything's wonderful. And he said, but you're wretched, miserable, blind, and naked. The best that man can do. Well, let's look at it. Let's, let's start with, the, let's start with the, the, the writer, the author. You remember he always says who's writing, <clears throat> And it corresponds with the issues that are going on in the church. And uh, so here we find the writer, the author of this letter in verse 14. You there? And the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the what? The amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. All right? So here's what I want to do. I want to read the intro to you a little bit because it, it, sets, it sets the letter up so you can understand because Jesus in his letter to them uses uh, uh, pictures or, or typology of what is significant in the city. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Laodicea was one of the triad of cities which included Colossae and Hierapolis. Colossae was about 10 miles to the east and Hierapolis 6 miles to the north. And its main weakness as a city was that it had to pipe in water from several miles away through aqueducts that could be easily blocked or diverted by an enemy. It was a very prosperous and wealthy city. Uh, we, we heard in, in some of the other letters about the descriptions of the other cities <coughs> where they had been destroyed by earthquakes and they needed Rome's help to, uh, uh, to rebuild the cities, Rome's financial support to rebuild the cities. Well, it is said, and historians say, Laodicea was so wealthy... And they, they had everything, and more than enough of everything, they rejected and turned down Rome's help. They didn't need Rome's help. That'll tell you how wealthy this place was and how wealthy the city was. It was significant, and they were known for three primary things. First, their wealth, you know, the, the, their financial ability, their financial stability. Then their black wool for clothes and carpets. They had a, a famous that was sold and and traded worldwide, a black wool. And then a medical school, a real famous medical school known for its ISAV that was sold around the world and known for uh, uh, its, its ISAV for healing. <clears throat> now, with that being said, 
Let's look at how Jesus addresses. Now remember, you remember he always uses a description of himself to address the issues of the church. If that makes sense, say amen. I mean, we've been doing this seven weeks. We'd figure this out by now. Amen. We, we understand what he's doing with this. All right. First, he says, he says unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, he said, these things saith the amen. So write that down in A, the amen. Now, we're familiar with that word, but we may not understand what that word means. The, the word amen means true. So when you say amen to something's being set up on this platform, what you're saying is you believe what he's saying is true. So make sure that you know that what he's saying is true before you say amen. amen. How many of y'all know people can say amen at the wrong time? <clears throat> don't get so, now trust me, now I don't want to make nobody scared at all whatsoever of amen or saying amen or supporting a reverend. I promise you, I'm going to try my dead level best to make sure everything I'm telling you is right on target, amen, and true. And, and, and I, I want you to support and I want you to say amen. I'll be honest with you, the first service on Sunday morning, I, I think most of my amenners are in there and they left the second service to go to the first service because there ain't a very many amenners in that second service. So some of y'all might need to go back up and help me say amen. That's the truth. You can say amen right there. <laughs> but just make sure that that word coming out of your mouth is just not a habit. Because you may be saying amen to something that may not be true. But what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I'm the amen. I am the truth. Now, this terminology is, is deified. It's, it's representing deity. Look what it says in Isaiah 65, 16. It says that he who, hath, he who blesseth himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And, and that word truth there is the word amen. It's the, uh, the Hebrew word amen. And he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. All right. So what Jesus is saying, he's saying, I am God. I, and, and I'm going to explain why he's, ha he's having to say this because of the false uh, doctrine that's being taught here at Laodicea. Now in 2 Corinthians 1.18, 2 Corinthians 1.18, it says, but as God is our word toward you was not yea and nay. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, even by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, was not yea and nay, but in him was yea. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, amen unto the glory of God by us. Now let me explain that. What Paul is saying here, he said, we're not trying to trick you. We're not trying to say yay, but really mean nay. In other words, we're not, we, we're not coming at you with deception. We're not, we're not saying nay, but really meaning yay, or yay and really meaning nay. He said it's yay. Every promise of God, every promise of God is yay, watch this, in him. Talking about Jesus Christ. All right, now let me explain. Look what it says in your notes. All of God's, what does, this, what does this mean? If all of God's promises in him are yea, or yes, and in him, in him, amen, the truth, all of God's Old Testament and New Testament promises of peace, joy, love, goodness, forgiveness, salvation, sanctification, fellowship, hope, glorification, and heaven are made possible and fulfilled in who? Jesus Christ. 
Who's writing the letter? Jesus Christ. He is truly the amen because he is the one who confirmed all of God's promises. Now, what Paul is saying, every promise we have is fulfilled and made possible through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's because of him we have heaven. It's because of him we have salvation. It's because of him we have hope because all of God's promises are fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Now, that is important. That is important. When we get into the problem that they were having in Laodicea, they needed to know that Jesus was the real deal. And he was not. He was not something made by God. He was God. All right? Church, say amen. He's the faithful and true witness. B. He's not only the amen, but he's the faithful and true witness. Not only is Jesus the truth because of his works, but because every word that he speaks is truth and can be trusted. He is completely trustworthy, perfectly accurate, and his, <coughs> and his testimony is always reliable. This is important. <laughs> Watch this. This is important because what he's about to tell them concerning their real condition is going to be hard to believe. It's going to be hard to believe. John 14, 6. Jesus say, saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Then he uses the term, he uses the term, the beginning of the creation of God. <coughs> the beginning of the creation of God. Now some false teachers have tried to take that word and mean that, that, that Jesus was the first thing God created. That's not what that means. The word beginning is the, is the Greek word arche, which means Christ was not the first one God created, but he was the source or the origin of creation. He was the source or the origin of creation. Let me show you. Revelation twenty two thirteen. Jesus is speaking, and he says, I am Alpha and the Omega, the and the, the first and the now watch this, Revelation 4.11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. What does it say in John 1, 1 through 3? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was... Now we know this is Christ, the capital W-O-R-D, that is Christ, because it says in, later on in chapter 1, uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. So that's talking about Christ. All right. So let me just put Christ. In the beginning was Christ. And Christ was with God. And Christ was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Watch this. All things were made by Christ. And without Christ was not anything made that was made. Do y'all see that? All right. He was the origin. He was the source of everything. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God who at sundry times... That means different times and in different manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Hath in these last days spoken to us by his son. Who would that be? Jesus Christ. Amen. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Watch this now. By whom also he made the world. Through Christ. Christ is the source of everything. Christ is the beginning 
of everything. Everything you see, everything you are, the source and origin is Christ. Jesus is saying, I am the source. I am the truth. I am the truth. You can trust what I'm saying. I am a faithful witness, a true witness. Now, the letter, <clears throat> the letter to Laodicea, had, now this is, why, this is where we're going to start seeing why he's addressing the church like he is, okay? The letter to Laodicea had much in common with the letter sent by Paul to Colossae. This church was not far from Laodicea, so it is believed that the same heresy and false teaching that plagued the Colossians had also found its way to the congregation at Laodicea. Now here's what he said in Colossians 4.16. In Colossians 4.16 it says this, And when this epistle or letter is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. In other words, when Paul wrote to Colossae, he was addressing a false teaching, a heresy that they were struggling with, and he said, by the way, read this letter in Laodicea too. Now why, why would, it, why would someone who was addressing a problem at Colossae want them to read the same letter to the church at Laodicea? Wouldn't it make sense that they have the same, they got the same problem. They're struggling with the same false teaching. Now is everybody together on that? We all, everybody good on that? All right, does that make sense? Now watch, what was that teaching? What was that teaching? Paul addresses it. <coughs> This false teaching, <clears throat> this false teaching taught that Christ was a created being, one of a series of emanations from God. They also claimed possession of a secret higher power or secret high, or higher spiritual knowledge above and beyond the scriptures. So to combat this, Paul wrote in his letter. Now let me let me talk about that just a second. There are many denominations, there are many religions or cultures that try to tell you that, that Jesus was just a man. He was a special man, but he was just a man. Or even, even that he, he was something other than God. Now, that, that is a major, major problem. Because if you don't get Jesus right, you don't get anything right. And so they're being taught that Jesus was just a creation of God. He was made by God, all right? In other words, he was a creation just like you are. Does that make sense? That's what, that's what it is. And there are some religions that believe that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers. It's all, and you say, well, and, and listen, when you, get off, when you get out of the scriptures, you can get way out there. Now, now here's, here's an issue again at the end of this where we said they felt like they had a special knowledge, a higher knowledge beyond the scriptures. Be careful about people who tell you they have visions and God has told them stuff <coughs> that you can't back up with this Bible. Be careful. Yeah, only one amen. I appreciate that. That's when everybody should have said amen. Because if you cannot back it up with scripture, I don't want to hear it. Amen. Listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing. What God wants you to know is right here. You say, why shouldn't you listen to someone's vision? You can't back it up. 
Well, let's just say this. Say you have a vision and I have a vision. And my vision is different than your vision. Who's right? You see, there's no, there's no final authority. The only final authority we have is in the scriptures. And they were, not, they were not supporting their belief or what they were teaching by the scriptures. They were teaching that they had a higher knowledge. Nobody's got a higher knowledge. Nothing's higher than the scriptures. Period. Church, say amen. So this is what Paul wrote. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1. He's, he's dealing with this, this teaching who is the, and it's talking about Christ. Who is the image? Christ is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of every creature. And I'll describe what the word firstborn there means. For by whom were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is... Before all things, and by him all things. Now the word firstborn here, now we would say firstborn means the first one born. The first of, as, as of a child in a, in a family. But the word literally means, to a, it refers to a supreme preeminent one. In other words, the first in preeminency, the first in supremacy. The one receiving the highest honor. So that means, man, I got excited when I was studying this. So that means Christ is not only the source of creation, but he's the supreme person in it. And I just put amen, amen, amen. In other words, the teaching is this. God in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, our God, he is the source of all things. He is the origin of all things. He is why we all consist. Everything is about him, made by him and for him. Not only that, not only is he the source of all things, he is the most important person in all things. He's preeminent. He is first. He is supreme. He is the priority. That's why he has to have preeminence in the church. There's nobody, no spiritual hero, no preacher alive, nobody that's more important than the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody should be worshipped but the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody should be honored and lifted above anybody but the Lord Jesus Christ. Without a doubt, he should be first in the church, but guess what? He should be first in our homes. He should be first in our families. He should be first in the decisions we make, in the steps we take. It's all about Him. Amen. And amen. And amen. What is Jesus saying? If you don't get me right, nothing's right. They had a false understanding of Jesus. They were being taught a wrong truth about Jesus. That he was just another prophet. And they were struggling with this. They were struggling this with it on earth while Jesus was on earth. You remember? Whom do men say that I am? You remember that? Remember that question? Whom do men say that I am? Well, some say that thou art Elias. Some say thou art John the Baptist come back from the dead. Some say thou art one of the prophets. 
You see, men for years and years have been getting this wrong. They don't truly know who he is. They think they know who he is. But what did Peter say? We believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Say amen. Now watch. Let's apply this to the day. Let's apply this to the day. People wearing fish bracelets. What would Jesus do? The same people are saying, what would Jesus do or condoning homosexuality and same-sex marriage and foolishness that's crazy? But they believe in Jesus. The only problem is, is they believe in a Jesus that they've created in their own minds. <laughs> they, they believe in a Jesus, they believe in a Jesus who they want him to be. They believe in a Jesus who wouldn't hurt anybody. They believe in a Jesus that doesn't care who you are, what you are, how you live. He loves everybody. You see what I'm saying? There'll be people that claim to be Christian and condone abortion. And says Jesus is cool with it. Jesus wouldn't want somebody to have a baby they don't want. You say you're being, no, 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 I'm telling you, this is the truth. This is the reality of the world we're living in. I'm not talking about the the heathen world or the, 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 the total reprobate world. I'm talking about a religious world that's created a God of their own being. And we can, we can look our nose down at people, we, we say that, but we've created a Jesus that just don't care if we're not committed to his church. Think about this. Do y'all remember, do y'all remember when, when we started the, 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 the book of Revelation? Remember how many people was in here? Where are they at? There'll be 2,000 people here on Sunday. Where are they at? We've created a Jesus of our own liking. In our own comfort level. So the modern day church is not very far away from what the Laodiceans were doing. Guess what? If you believe in a Jesus that is not the Jesus of the Bible, what's that mean? Exactly. You're unregenerated. What is Jesus saying? You don't have me right. You don't have me where I belong. I am to be preeminent. I am to be supreme. I am not a creation of God. I am God. But not the God of your making. Not the God of your mind. Not the God that you are comfortable with. Not the God of your creation. I'm the God of the universe. The God of the scriptures. He's telling them. He's telling them, I'm supreme, I'm first, amen. Now look at their accusation, the accusation. Look what he says. I know thy thy works. I know thy works. Now watch what he says right after that. That thou art neither cold nor hot. I would, I'd rather that thou wert cold or hot. 
So the, then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now this, I will spew thee out of my mouth, we know he's talking to unredeemed people. They are lost. Because the Bible said, if any man come unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Are y'all with me? So he's not talking to saved people. He's talking to a church full of unsaved people. But they're going to church. Y'all get this? Now watch. Now watch. There's something about our works. They're revealed. Number one. I really should have put they reveal. But either way, just put revealed. Their works revealed who they really were. How many of y'all know your actions will tell on you? I love seeing people. I, I'm a man of faith and will cuss worse than a drunken sailor. Treat people like dogs. Come out of here singing, oh, how I love Jesus, and will shoot a bird to everybody that goes in front of them in, in traffic. This is reality. I had, I had a family in the church that was turning at West Point and coming by, and apparently whoever was coming down the road, thought they pulled out too much in front, went by blowing the horn, gave them the California high side, and and they followed and they turned into church right before they did. I guess that's where they needed to be, amen? We do get riffraff here, amen? So, anyway, see, you can, you can be religious and an idiot, say amen. Remember, I'm still sick and on medicine, so I'm not <laughs> held accountable for what I say. <clears throat> but your, your, your works will tell on you. It's really not what you say, it's what you do. Because Matthew 7, 16 says this, You shall know them by their, by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth, what, a, a good tree bringeth forth, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Don't listen to what a man proclaims. Watch how he lives. Watch how he lives. Romans chapter 2. Verse 6 says, who will render to every man according to his, his deeds, not his claims, not his profession, but his deeds. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. That's what they're going to get, it's eternal life. But at them that are contentious and do not... Uh, obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. That's what they're going to get. You mean to tell me I, I got to do good to get saved? No, I'm saying you'll do good if you're saved. Your deeds don't save you, but if you're saved, you have deeds. And their deeds were telling on them. He said, I know thy works. You're lukewarm. He's talking about their deeds. Their life. 
Watch. James 2, 17. Even so, faith. Come on, it's up here. It should be. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is? It's dead faith. It's not a living faith. In other words, James is saying it's not a genuine faith. It's not a real faith. If faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being? Yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. In other words, a real faith has works. It has works. There's deeds that go along with that. You don't work to get saved, but after you're saved, you will work. You will have deeds. You will, there will be a change. There will be a difference. What does that mean? It doesn't matter what you say if the way you live doesn't back up to what you say. Watch. Their works told on them. It revealed what they really were. Their works were revealed, but they were rebuked too. They were rebuked too. This is going to make so much sense in just a second, so just bear with me. Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. Look at your Bible. <clears throat> I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. I'd rather you be one or the other. I'd rather you be one or the other. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Mercy. Now here's the deal. Here's the deal. Let me, let me, let me, let me see. You remember I said there's some typology. He, he's using pictures here. You remember that triad of cities, Hierapolis, uh, Colossae, and, and, uh, and Laodicea? They were real close together. Hierapolis had hot springs. <clears throat> I mean, real hot springs that could comfort. I don't know if y'all have ever been in one of them. They say you can get in one, it just make you 10 years younger. I mean, just it just it, it's like a hot sauna and it has minerals in it and it's really conditioning and whatever. It, it's really... Brings health and people recommend it, blah, blah, blah. But it's helpful, right? It's good. It's, it's, it's pharmaceutical. It, it, it's helpful. But then in Colossae, there was a real cold stream, a real cold stream of water that they, they had and was refreshing. There ain't nothing more refreshing than cool water, amen? But Laodicea, Laodicea had neither. Laodicea had to pipe in through aqueducts water from several miles away that once it came through those aqueducts and all, it was tipid. <coughs> it was putrid. Wasn't any good to the point it was almost nauseating. Now watch. Christ rebuked them. <clears throat> and, and his metaphorical language is drawn from Laodicea's water supply. It traveled several miles through an underground aqueduct before reaching the city. The water arrived foul, dirty, and tepid. It was not hot enough to relax and restore like the hot springs of Hierapolis, nor was it cold and refreshing like the stream water of Colossae. Laodicea's lukewarm water was in a useless condition. So what he's doing, he's comparing the spiritual state, their spiritual state, to the city's foul, tepid water. Does this, does this make sense? You see why he's doing this now? 
And it says, Christ gave the Laodicean church a powerful, shocking rebuke. Now, now imagine this. Imagine this. They've been going to church for years. And all of a sudden, this, this messenger shows up with this letter. Now think about that. Been going to church for years thinking they're good, man. Thinking, they, we, hey, we're all in like Flynn. We're doing good. We're, we're, right? And then all of a sudden, this letter shows up. And Jesus is directly speaking to them. And he's, he's comparing them to their water. They know what he's talking about. They know exactly what he's talking about. Now watch. What a shock. Then he says this. Because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. Some churches make the Lord weep. Others make him angry. The Laodicean church made him sick. Now what is this, what is this type? Who are the hot people? Who are the cold people? Who are the lukewarm people? What's he talking about? Hot people are those who are spiritually alive and possess the fervency of a transformed life. Y'all know who them are. True believers, born again. They have a, they have a spiritual life inside of them that transforms their life. The spiritually cold, on the other hand, are best understood as those who, who don't have Christ. The gospel leaves them unmoved. It evokes in them no spiritual response. They have no interest in Christ at the time, his word, or his church. They make no pretense about it. They are not hypocrites. In other words, it's the one that's lost, and they know they're lost. Over here, you have the saved, the hot. They're saved. They know they're saved. They're on fire. But then way over here, way over here, you have the cold, and the cold are those who, you ask them, you say, no. If you were to die right now, where would you go? Probably hell. Y'all know the type. They're lost and they know they're lost. There's no hypocrisy in it. There's no no putting on a front, putting on a show. They just, it is what it is. I don't believe. They're lost. And they know they're lost. There's no question about it. Does that make sense? But then you have, then you have those in the middle. They're not cold and they're not hot. So is that a backslidden Christian? Nope. It's one who is in this condition thinking and portraying they're in this condition. These are saved. Them are lost. The lukewarm are those who are lost thinking they're saved. Now think about that a minute. The lukewarm, they attend church. They are not genuinely saved. But they don't openly reject the gospel. They attend church, they claim to know the Lord, they're like the Pharisees. The Pharisees thought they were on top of the list going to heaven. And we know how that turned out. They are content to practice a self-righteous religion. They are hypocrites playing games. The Lord Jesus Christ describes such people. 
In Matthew 7, 22, he said, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works. I mean, they're, 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 they're working in the name of religion. They're, they're doing all these things. They're working their works. And then will I profess unto them, I, oh, her, help me, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Romans 10, 1 through 3. Paul describes it like this. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. If he's praying that they get saved, what does that mean they are? Right? Okay? For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. They have a fervency. They're excited. They have an energy. Man, they, 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 they're very religious. But he says, but not according to... You see, that's the issue. They worship a God. I didn't say they worship God... I said I wor- they worship a God, but not according to knowledge. They don't know the God they're worshiping. And what a travesty that is. When they had the prophets, they had the scriptures, they had the promises, they had the heritage. <coughs> Jesus was standing in front of them, and they crucified him. Not according to knowledge. Not according to knowledge. Listen. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Here's what happens when you don't know the real God. They being ignorant of God's righteousness. You don't know the real God or the real way to God. And going about to, (coughs) help me, establish their own. Guess what? If you don't have the right one, you're going to make your own up. How could a... How could a minister stand and marry a man to a man or a woman to a woman? They don't know the God of the scriptures. And so they've made their own up. They've made their own rules. They've made their own religion that fits their lifestyle. You do not adjust that book to your lifestyle. You adjust your lifestyle to that book. But if you don't know the God of the book... If you don't know the God of the scriptures, you're still going to be religious. But you're going to establish your own. Now watch. That's a very dangerous thing to do. They've not submitted themselves into the righteousness of God. Because here's what will take place. 2 Timothy 3.5. 2 Timothy 3.5. Having a form. A form. Y'all know what a form is. Of godliness. They look like it. Has the shape. Looks like a church. They sing some songs and they sing a hymn and they gather together. But denying the power thereof. From such turn away. He says, You're not cold. And you're not hot. Now, obviously, obviously God would want them to be hot, right? I mean, there's no question. I want all y'all to be hot. I want all y'all to be on fire. I want all of you to be full of life and spirituality and a fervency for God. 
That's a no-brainer. No question God wants them saved to have a genuine, real life inside of them. But do you notice what he said? He said, I'd even rather you be cold. Holy cow. God just said he would rather you be lost. But not just lost. Not just lost. Because this crowd here is lost too. He said, I'd rather you be that kind of lost than that kind of lost. And here's why. Here's why. The hardest person in the world to truly lead to Christ is someone who's lost but religious. The hardest one to lead to Christ is someone who's lost that truly believes they're saved. It's easier to take someone and share the gospel with a heathen that knows they're a heathen than the person who's lost, churchified, and religious. I heard a 70-something-year-old lady say, I've been a Christian all my life. Well, that's an impossibility. She was so smug, so self-righteous, so confident in her deeds and her behavior. But boy, if you could see through her, you could see. But there was no way of convincing her because of all of her deeds and all of the hours she put in that she could even be lost. And the crazy thing is, her husband got saved in his 80s. And you would think, you know what, that's true. She didn't like it. I think it embarrassed her. Anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that. <sighs> Let's hurry. Let's hurry. Then we see their words, their works. They were lukewarm, religious but lost. There are thousands of churches around the world, especially here in America, that's full of lost people and only lost people. They're going through the motions. They're singing the songs. There's no life, no change, no spiritual fervor, no excitement, no burst. Churches all over America has got cobwebs in the baptistry. So how do you know there's no life? Because when there's life, there's, there's babies being born. Babies, and I'm talking about new births, salvations, and it's making God sick. He says, then their words, and here's, here's part of the problem. Because thou sayest. He, he, this is what he says. He said, you're lukewarm. Because. Verse 17, you there? By the way, this is B for number two. Because thou sayest, 
I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. They were totally self-deceived. You see, the, the city was wealthy. And because of that, the people in the church, they had money. They had programs. They had all these things. And it gave them a false self-confidence. Say, we're good. <coughs> because they associated, they associated righteousness with favor. Or blessings or prosperity. You hearing that any today? Oh, if you're if you're right with God, then you're gonna pro And it gave them a false confidence. Hey, we're good. We don't need nothing. Nothing. But watch what he says. Truth be known. You can say what you want. You have no idea you're wretched in God's eyes, miserable, poor, and blind and naked. What does that mean? You can be poor in more ways than one. And then we see verse number three. I want you to see the admonition. This is what he tells them to do. Isn't it funny that this whole church is unredeemed? This whole church is, they don't even believe in the right Christ. But yet Jesus reaches out to them. And he's offering them salvation. He's offering them grace. What an awesome. He should have destroyed all of them. But he's offering them salvation. Look, look what he says. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. It means purity. That thou mayest be rich. And white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Write this down. He said, buy of me. Now we know that the salvation cannot be bought, right? Because even if it could, you don't have what it takes to buy it. Our righteousness are as filthy rags in God's eyes. So what are we going to offer him? Isaiah 55.1 says this. Ho! Hey! Hey! That's what that, that ho means right there. Hey, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no, come ye. And what? Buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without and without. Come. <laughs> he offers a, he offers spiritual gold. Gold represents faith. Remember what 1 Peter 1 7, or 1 7 says? That the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Though it be tried with fire, what's going to be tried? Your faith might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He says your faith is gold. And what does, what does Jesus offer? He says, buy of me gold tried in the fire. Pure gold, the real thing. I want, in other words, what is he saying? I want you to have a real salvation. I want you to have a genuine salvation. I am offering you the You have bought a lie, hook, line, and sinker. I'm offering you a genuine, pure salvation. 
That's what he's saying. Come to me. Come to me. Come to the amen. Come to the faithful witness. Right? Spiritual gold. B, spiritual clothes. Now see what he's playing off of? First is their wealth. You had all the money in the bank, but yet you're poor and miserable. He said, buy me what's real. Okay? Then, he's all, and then he talks about their black wool. He says, he says, and not only that, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Your spiritual condition he's referring to. Laodicea's famed black wool symbolized the filthy, sinful garments that the unregenerate are clothed in. Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, in other words, the best we can do, are as filthy rags. Even though they were doing good deeds, even though they were doing good works, their righteousness that they had come up with was as filthy rags. It was still unclean. It was still dirty. Zechariah 3. Now Joshua was clothed with the filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity. See, he's comparing, comparing the filthy garment to iniquity and sin to pass from thee. And I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. Now in contrast... To the filthy garments, the black wool, the, the iniquity. In contrast, God clothes the righteous in white garments. Isaiah 61.10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and his bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Revelation 4, 4, and round about the throne were four and 20, 20 seats. This is the, the vision in heaven that we're going to see in a, in a couple chapters, or actually in a couple weeks in the next chapter. Upon the seats, I saw four and 20 elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had heads, uh, 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 excuse me, they had on their heads crowns of gold. Revelation 6, 11, and white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little while. These are the tribulation saints that are killed during the tribulation. Until their fellow servants also and their brethren should be killed as they were, should be fulfilled. Revelation 7, 9. After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white and palms in their hands. I like this one. This is us coming back with Jesus in Revelation 19. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen. What? White and clean. What's he saying? He's saying, get from me real righteousness. Real righteousness. The white garment represents righteousness. The righteousness of Christ, not our own making, right? And then I salve. Everybody knows what I say, but I got to hurry because I'm already overtime. But I'm going to give you all this. <clears throat> when there's something wrong with your eyes, you can't see. What has the God of this world done to lost people? Blinded their eyes, right? That's what we were. I mean, Amazing Grace says it, says it well. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound to say, wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I'm fine. I was. But now I see. He says, I want to give you spiritual sight. 
real righteousness. Then number four, write this down. We see the activity. I love this part. We see the activity. He's offering them salvation. He's offering them salvation. There's three things I see in these verses. First, there's an admission. There's an admission. What is the admission? He says in Revelation 3.19, As many as I love. They weren't even worshiping the, the Jesus of the Bible. They were apostate, unconverted, religious but lost, and proud of it, arrogant. You say you need nothing, but this is, yet he said, man, I love you. What a God. The worst sinner that you could ever conceive of in your mind, whoever that might be, Jesus loves them. And he says, man, I love you. And because I love you, B, there's an asking. He said, I, let me in. Now, there's many, there's many songs and many writers have written this. He's knocking on the heart of the law. That's not what he's doing. He's knocking on the door of the church. He's wanting in the church. It's his church. Man, if, can you imagine if every church in America would let him in? You're talking about turning things upside down. Now, I appreciate the ones that let him in. Say, so how do you let him in? You bring him with you. It says, if any man will hear my voice. And open the door, I will come in. Isn't that amazing that it only takes one redeemed person to go into one of them dead churches and turn it upside down? Because if only one redeemed person goes in, Jesus goes with him. So let me in, and I'll come in and sup with him. Let me tell you something. In, in, in an attempt, see, an attempt. Let me say this. Since we're already over time, I might as well just give it all to you. <clears throat> Writers, <clears throat> if you don't shut it up, shut it up and look at me. Y'all should know better than this by now. I don't want you to be distracted. This is very important. <clears throat> this invite about supping and fellowship, it is a, it is a term of endearment. It's a... It's a it's a, 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 a place and time of fellowship and affirmation and, and affection. In other words, it's, been, it's like sitting down with your family. I, sometimes I, 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 I've gone to, my, especially my, my wife's uh, family in Georgia, and they, they've got like a huge family, and they'll come together for Christmas or whatever, Thanksgiving, and they'll, they'll, they'll go in there and they'll eat like three times afternoon they just go in there and gray and there's food everywhere and it, but but more than anything all them women folk will get in that and, and start talking and they'll bring out quilts and stuff and and I'm just watching them and they're just just talking and chattering and loving on each other and not, they're supping they're, they're, it's that fellowship it's that that time of affection 
But what's talking about here is the last one of the day. The last supper, the last meal. The one before night. And I can't help but to think, we know that the Laodicean church age is the last one before the tribulation. And this is, this is like a final appeal to the church to let me in. The night's coming. It's coming. Tribulation is coming to this world like we've never seen. And Christ is knocking on the door saying, let me in. Let me in. Listen, we need to pray. Thank God we have a living church. Amen. Amen. But we sure need to pray for the churches around this country that are like Sardis and dead or like Laodicea and unredeemed. And all God's people say it. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the crowd. God, I pray that you